Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Dustin. I'm on staff here at South Point, and actually coming close to the end of our Christmas series that we're calling Good News, and next week we'll have our Christmas services, and today we're continuing to read through Matthew's account of the Christmas story, more specifically the journey of the wise men as we've already begun to read this morning. But I'll be honest with you, the message this morning isn't overly Christmassy, if that makes sense. Honestly, I think a lot of people in this room probably either know this story or have at least heard some version of it. And I think it's easy for us to just, it, it becomes this thing that's like we know, but it doesn't take any deep root in our life. It doesn't bring transformation. It doesn't let us know more about Jesus. And, and that's not what the point of all this is. This is not, when we get together and we worship and we, and we pray together and we open up the Bible, it's not just like encouragement. It's not just like storytelling. We're here seeking the living, breathing God through his word. And so as we read this story this morning, even if you've heard it or even if you haven't, I just ask you to keep an open mind about what God may be saying to us this morning through it. Um, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 starting at verse 1, and that's going to be page 10 in that Matthew journal if you have it. If you don't have one, you can grab one back at Connection Point, but page 10 of the Matthew's journal. And I just want to quickly put a bug in your ear before we get into this while we're on the topic of the Matthew journal that next year, right at the beginning of the year, we're offering our class on how to read the Bible. I just want to classify something here. This is not just for people who don't know how to read the Bible. This is not for people who are complete strangers to Scripture. This class is for everyone. We've been talking about this messaging of being good soil and trying to be prepared for whatever God may do. And knowing how to read Scripture is a really, really pivotal part of that. And so I, my encouragement to you would not be just if you're interested in this, but if you are available, if you have free time and you, you have time to invest in this, I would really encourage you to be a part of this class. You will see growth in your spiritual life. It will help form your relationship with God. So please be a part of that if you can be. Having said that, this morning, Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1, and this is what the text says. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That comes from the Old Testament, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And it says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. He's lying. He wants to murder Jesus. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then Opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. 
I want to look at three things this morning in this passage. And like I said, none of them are like inherently Christmassy in and of themselves. Actually, this situation happened like well after the manger. This journey of these wise men was not some like walk around the block. This was a literal year's journey. It's very likely that Jesus was already walking and talking by the time they got to him. And so three things, not overly Christmassy, but still very relevant. And the first thing I believe this story addresses is one of the largest truths in the Bible and one of the largest realities of our world. And it's that God is making himself known to all people. God is making himself known to all people. First, I want to talk about what we know for sure about these wise men or magi as they're called. What do we know about these men? And what we know for sure about them is Basically nothing. Like there's nothing concrete we can say about them except that they came from the east and they're called wise men. Now, many people believe there were three of them. Some people have even given them names. But really all that's just speculation. The, the best theory we can come up with if you know your Bible history is that the people of Israel in the Old Testament, the tribes of Israel, would often find themselves exiled in other nations, captive in other nations, waiting to be rescued by God. And obviously, they're followers of God, so they would have Scripture with them, some of the old prophecies and writings. And in these situations, God would come in and he'd miraculously save his people, and the non-Jewish people in those nations would get curious because they'd just seen miraculous things happen. And so what is going on with this God and sometimes they get their hands on these scriptures and maybe even make copies of it. And the best theory about these wise men, the best we guess we can come up with, is that they were a sect of scientists, more, more specifically ones that studied the stars, and they'd gotten their hands on some of those scriptures that were passed down generations, and they studied them out of curiosity. And one of the prophecies they likely read came from the book of Numbers, and this is what it says in the book of Numbers, which is very early in the Bible. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter, meaning a king, shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth, which is for like sin and death symbolically. So our best guess, these wise men were respected scientists, possibly even kings, some people guess. And they'd had these ancient texts passed down to them from their ancestors who had experienced these miraculous things. And, and in the text, they, they read about this great star that would signify the coming of this great king. And they already study stars, so they're interested. And then they actually witness this star rise up that meets the description of the ancient text. And they're like, we've got to go see what this is about. And we know they're from the east. We don't know specifically which country, maybe Babylonia, maybe Assyria, but we know they're from the east, and that pretty much guarantees that they either worship a different god or no god at all, and so likely at the beginning of this journey, it was based more out of curiosity than anything else. What is this? We've got to go see about this. That's what we can use reason and like conjecture to make a guess about who these guys may have been. What we know for sure is, and what we witness in the Bible, is that as soon as Jesus is born, as soon as he comes into the world, God seems to begin spreading this message across the region by supernatural means, doing whatever it takes to reach and embrace all people. God announces the birth of Jesus to shepherds in a field by way of angels. Angels tell them about it. He, he, he declares 
the birth of the, the Messiah to these magi or wise men by like the stars, or you could even say science. And then with these political religious authorities, King Herod and the scribes and Pharisees, he lets them know about the birth of the Savior by way of these strangers from the east, from the manger where Jesus lays wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's like God's reach, his embrace in Jesus just begins to get bigger and bigger from that moment. And we'll see in Jesus' story, he goes on to touch people who are sick and heal them and, and people who have disabilities and people who were who dead. He calls back to life and ultimately with his life Jesus draws all people to himself as he's lifted up on a cross and he invites everyone in in Christ Jesus no one's beyond God's embrace you know what I preached about last week if you were here about Joseph is that it was because he trusted in God's goodness and sovereignty that he was able to have faith and trust when things looked uncertain I just want to clarify that's not these magi that's not the, this wise man. This is not their story. It's almost guaranteed that they're not Christian. They're not from Israel. Their faith is likely either in science or some other false god and not the one true God, but they have a curiosity. They're seeking, and so God meets them where they are, staring into the night sky, and he draws them to himself through that, beckons to them, come and see, and then they finally lay eyes on Jesus. And even though he's just a toddler, Seeing Jesus drives them to their knees. It's not by way of a church service. It's not by way of a worship song. It's by a star. And it actually challenges like my understanding of how God works. It pushes against like my own preconceived notions of how God saves people. And it tells me that we can't put God in a box. That he's doing things all the time that we just can't even see. Did you know that in just the past few weeks alone, just the past few weeks alone, that there have been reports coming out of Gaza that hundreds of practicing Muslims have come to claim Jesus as Savior because they saw him in their dreams. Hundreds of people, all claiming the same dream and professing their newfound faith in Jesus. I've seen him in my dreams. He's my Savior. It's amazing. And, and can you guess how a lot of Christians are responding to these reports? Doubt it. Probably lying, probably making it up. God doesn't work like that today, right? I don't know. Did, did you know that in the book of Acts, the apostle Peter, in his first sermon ever, he references the book of Joel, and he says this. He says, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, Peter was talking about what had just happened at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended on God's people, but I'm telling you, this is the same God that we worship today. He's always seeking to reach and connect with new people. I mean, your old men will dream dreams. Maybe it's time we stop putting God in a box. Maybe it's time we start expecting miracles rather than doubting them. That's amazing because the Magi did not come looking for Jesus through someone's preaching. There weren't missionaries even that went to go preach the good news to them. It's all things that I hold really near and dear to my heart that I think are extremely important. We should be preaching and, and singing worship songs and we should be sending missionaries out, but God found these guys he got his hands on them 
without any of that. Just they were studying the night skies. As someone who clings very tightly to my favorite ways that God works to proclaim the gospel and bring people to faith, I have to remember that God's work of embracing all people is so much more of a mystery and so much less of a formula. That God's ways are bigger than my understanding. And what it tells me is that no one is out of God's reach. No one is a lost cause. There may be people in your life that you love and they would never come to church. They would never read your Bible with you. They'd never listen to a worship song that you sent with them. They'd never step foot in this building. Doesn't mean that they're too far gone. God is connecting. He's trying to reach out to all people. There's so much we don't know about how God works, but here's what we do know. We know that it's written in the Psalms that says, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. We also know that Jesus says later in the book of Matthew, he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It's just a really humbling reminder to me that the kingdom of God invading this planet is not dependent upon human beings. Are we invited to take part in what God is doing? Absolutely. Does the Bible say that he set aside good works for us to do with this new life that he's given to us? Definitely. But does God need us for his will to be done in this world? Not even a little bit. He is at work all the time. His name will be made great among the nations, either one way or another, by human obedience or divine intervention, probably a mingling of both. But the truth remains that like these wise men, people who have never stepped foot in a church and who don't have all the right Bible verses memorized will fall down on their knees and confess that Jesus Christ is king. He will be glorified. I know a lot of people like to think of America as like the Christian capital of the world or that we're like here saving the entire world. I just, I just want to say it's, it's highly unlikely that there's like an American flag waving in the throne room of God. Highly unlikely. I know we think we're the center of the universe, but the kingdom of God is so much more diverse and expansive and astounding than we could ever begin to imagine. And the more we try to make God look like our like Western American culture, the, just, the more foolish we look. The universe bends to his will. The universe bends to his will in order that these men from a different culture, different experience, different time, a different life, the universe bends to the will of God to call out to these men from far away. Come and see. God has a plan for all nations, and I, I really, it's so valuable. It's so important to keep this in the forefront of our mind. The kingdom of God is bigger than America. I know it's easy to get caught up in all this stuff that's going on in our country. Just remember one day there's not going to be an America, but the kingdom of God will stand forever. So first thing this passage teaches us, God is making himself known to people of all nations. And I think the second thing this passage teaches us, and, and don't miss this, is that you can know the Bible and still miss Jesus. The same way that people who are far away, that never, you know, they, they weren't in church and they weren't in Christian communities, the way that they found Jesus, the same side of the or the opposite side of the token also exists. There will be people who will know the Bible inside and out and still miss Jesus. Look at verse 3. It says, When Herod the king heard this, when he heard about this coming Savior, 
who had been born, when he heard about this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And that's interesting to me, you know, right? Because I, I mean, like, of course, I, I think it makes sense that Herod would be troubled, because Herod is supposed to be the king of the Jews. And here come these men saying, well, no, there's actually another king of the Jews, and so he should feel a little bit uneasy about that. But then it says that all of Jerusalem is troubled too. And to me that doesn't make sense because like, wouldn't Jerusalem be like jumping for joy that the Messiah is here? That the promised Messiah has come? That just doesn't make sense to me. And then it, it says that Herod called in the chief priests and scribes, the religious people, the, the Bible experts, to make it make sense. What are these guys talking about? King of the Jews, Messiah, star, what is all of this? And it says, assembling the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired to them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it's written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means among the, among, no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they know, they know, these religious people. And I just, I got to be honest, like this portion of scripture is like really confusing to me. Because these are the most religious people in all of Israel. These are like the Bible people, the, the church people. They know the Bible inside and out. They know the prophecies. They know of the coming Messiah. So like why aren't they packing their bags and running to Bethlehem? These are the chief priests and the scribes. They're, they're called in because they know more about all this stuff than anyone else in the world. Why aren't they freaking out in excitement over this? Why aren't they like cutting King Herod off and saying like, we don't mean to question you, your highness, but just like don't send these jokers from another country. They don't know anything about this. Send us. Like this is our Messiah. Like we want to go see him. It's obvious that they know. They, they answer Herod immediately. Where's the Savior being born? And they're like, Bethlehem. They know, but they're not telling anyone. They're not gathering their things in preparation to go and see. They're not searching the night skies for desperate for the star to show up so they can go and meet their Savior. They're not, according to the Bible, there's nothing to indicate any kind of movement from them towards Bethlehem. You, there's not even like an ounce of excitement that you can see in them. And I guess my question is just like, what happened to these guys? How does that happen? That you can be trained and you can be an expert in all of this Christian Bible stuff. And you can spend all day reading and studying about the beautiful, wondrous truths about who God is and what he's going to do. And like, you know all of it. But then you're not moved at all by it. In the early 2000s, a band named Lifehouse, one of my favorite bands when I was growing up, this band named Lifehouse wrote a song called Everything. If you've never heard it, I'd write it down and go check it out later today. It's a really good song. It's called Everything. It's by the band Lifehouse. And it's a song written to God. And the chorus of the song says, How can I stand here with you and not be moved by you? And, and the song is saying it like, 
God, you're so amazing and you're so beautiful in power. Like, it, it is impossible to be in your presence and not be moved by you. Like, how can I not be moved by you? But here are these chief priests and Pharisees, and they, they just encountered the news that they and their ancestors have been waiting for for hundreds of years, the literal best news ever delivered, the Savior's here, and they just, they just stand there, completely unmoved by it. And can I just say, like, Christians like to poke fun at the scribes and Pharisees. We like to make fun of them and beat up on them a little bit. But, like, to me, this is, like, this is so heartbreaking as I read this. Because, like, I'm someone, I've been leveled by the love of God. I know how amazing it is to know Jesus. I know the difference it's made in my life. And these guys spent their entire life reading the Bible and trying to do all this stuff. They were so close, but they didn't know him at all. And this was an ongoing problem for these super religious leaders all throughout the New Testament. 30 years later, 30 years after this moment, Jesus is standing in front of them in the flesh. Maybe even some of the same Pharisees that spoke with Herod. And Jesus says this to them. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. The scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. They know all about him, but they don't actually know him at all. And I'll just say this, it's not just heartbreaking for them, it's also heartbreaking for us, because this is not an isolated issue with the scribes and Pharisees. This is an issue in our modern church today. This exists right here and now. There are plenty of people in the church who know all about Jesus, but they don't actually know him. And it's even easier, I think, to live this way in our world today because we've created an entire culture of this. Haven't we? Like, what do we do? We, we just observe people's lives. We, we see them on social media or we hear about celebrities in the news. And we, we know, we, we could tell you some things. We know some things about them, but we don't actually know them. Prime example would be a miracle. Speaking of miracles, it'd be a miracle if you haven't heard about mega pop star Taylor Swift dating superstar football player Travis Kelsey. It's literally everywhere. And, and people talk about them as if they really know them. Did you see what she wore to his game? Did you hear about what he said to her when they first started dating? And, like, and it's like, you, you might know some things about them, but you do realize that you don't actually know them, right? And I think we've just gotten so comfortable in our world knowing things about people without ever actually having to know them. And it's leaked its way into our spiritual lives, and it's like now we think we can pull the same stuff with Jesus. Yeah, I can tell you about him. He walked on water. He did this thing with, like, bread and fish, and he multiplied it and fed, like, a kajillion people. And, like, he, he died on a cross for sins, and he rose back to life, and he, he was amazing. You know all these things, but then at the same time, you could be presented on a weekly, maybe even daily basis with how wonderful and powerful and life-altering he is and just be completely unmoved because you don't actually know him. And so how do you get to know him? Just walk with him. I mean, if you're, if you're saved... If you put your faith in Jesus, you don't, you don't have to wait for the, the stars in the sky to like discreetly lead you 
to Jesus. You, you can open up the Bible and, and hear directly from him. The, the Bible says that Jesus is the word. Not just like the words written in red, not just like the quotes by Jesus, but like all of it. But you see, you don't read it just to know about him. You don't read it just to get a, a deeper head knowledge. You, you read it with a prayer and a desire to come to him. And then in the book of James, it, it says, don't just read it. Don't just know the Bible. Like, live it. You want to know Jesus? Pick up your cross and live as he lived. That's the invitation. Jesus says, I came here and I walked in your shoes. I put on skin and bone. I died for you. I did what you couldn't do. Now just step into this life with me. Experience it. How else can you know him? Pray. We say it all the time. Pray. And I think it feels like a very ordinary thing. It's not. Pray, but don't just pray as like a to-do thing. I'm a Christian, so I'm supposed to do it. Pray with a heart to come to him. Jesus, I, I need to know you. If there's a disconnect, Jesus, I need to know you more deeply. I know these things about you. I just there, there's, there's something that's not connecting. Lord, show me. Help me to know you. What a different type of prayer that is than like, God, can you do this and this and this and can you please do this? And if you have time, also consider this over here. But we just sprint some prayer time just, I, I, I need to know you, Lord. You don't even have to say anything. What if you just had five minutes and you're like, man, I, I could scroll on my phone or I could go do this thing, but I have five minutes and I'm just, I, I'd rather just sit quietly with you, Lord. I'm going to give you these five minutes. I know that's not impressive, and I'm not, I'm not doing it to impress you. I'm not getting it to try to get you to do what I want you to do. I'm not, I just want to, I just want to spend time with you. I need to know you. Like, even if there's not some, like, grand revelation that, like, blows my mind, even if there's not, like, some giant measurable spiritual growth in my life, I just, I need to be with you. I need to know you. And I really believe if you only ever ran with even just those three, prayer, scripture, obedience, walking with God, what about that? God, I, I, I'm gonna, I want to live the life that you've called me to live. I understand it's not, I'm not earning anything from you. I can't earn favor with you. You died. You earned that for me. You bought that with your blood. But I want to walk in obedience, living the life the way that you desire. I want to experience life the way you experience it because I just want to know you. Prayer, scripture, obedience. I really think if we even just focused on those three with a heart to know God, I think it would change our spiritual life, would change our relationship with him. We'd experience him in a way we never have. I know it seems really simple and like standard and one-on-one, but I really think that's where the depth of all of this is. But don't come to it with an agenda to like try to be better. Or like, I gotta get my life together. I gotta. Don't even come to it with an idea of like, I'm doing this for you, God. I'm praying and I'm living in obedience for you. Just do it with a heart to know Him. That's all He wants. And watch how things begin to change so you can know the Bible and still miss Jesus. And to me, that's almost more heartbreaking than not knowing anything about Him is to like, these Pharisees, to be this close and just miss him completely. And man, I don't want that for you. I don't want that for anyone in this church. That's awful, dude. I want you to hear the good news and start rejoicing and freaking out and getting ready to like 
move in whatever direction you feel God pulling you because it's like you're so amazing to be moved by him. And then that brings us to the final takeaway from this wise men's story, and it's that the only way to come to Jesus is by faith alone. The only way to come to Jesus is by faith alone. Like I said, we don't know much about these wise men, a lot of speculation, a lot of theories. But what we know, the reality of what we know is if they did come from the east, if they did come from nations in the east, we know that their journey from wherever they were to where they ultimately end up in Bethlehem is at least at least one year, but very likely closer to two years. And this is in like first century. There's not policed, paved highways. Like it's, it's wilderness. It's dangerous. Also, if you didn't know, at this moment in time, eastern nations like Babylonia and Assyria, they're hostile towards the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire tried to conquer them. They failed, and so there's conflict there. And Rome is in charge of Israel. And so it's essentially guaranteed that these men were leaving friendly territory to take a two-year trek across desert wilderness to march into enemy territory to then stand before a crazy, violent king and say, by the way, there's a new king, and, and he's been born in Israel. Can you help us find him? Like, that's a, you talk about risk. We, we can't even begin to fathom that level of risk in our modern world. These men were leaving likely with the knowledge that this, this probably ends with us dying more than finding out what is actually. But they left anyway. And it's like, why do something like that? And it's, it's faith. Whatever it is that they found and read in those scriptures, whatever was passed down to them that led them to some understanding of what that star meant, it planted some kind of seed in them. Maybe you've heard that phrase in church, plant a seed a curiosity, an interest. And I'll just go out on a limb to say that there must have been something missing in their life if they were willing to go through all they inevitably went through to maybe lay eyes on this Messiah King from another religion. There's no way their lives were completely put together if they just abandoned them to take a four-year round-trip journey and almost die. I know people are curious, but there had to be some kind of gap in their lives. And I think that really is how we all come to know Jesus. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, then you've likely experienced life before him, you've experienced that gap, and then life after him is there is no gap. And if you're in here this morning and you haven't made the decision yet to follow Jesus, now I'm not singling you out, but I'd say there has to be something going on in your life to, to lead you into walking into this building today to figure out what this Jesus thing is all about. It takes faith to even do that. How do you know these guys had faith? You see it in action. They followed the star. They start like pulling on this string to see where it followed and where it would lead them. And, and they wouldn't have left if there wasn't some small part of them that believed there was something worth finding. So if you're here this morning and this is your first Sunday in church and you don't know where, it, it took faith even just to step in here. And it might seem weird that the first thing they say to this violent enemy king is like, there's a new king, can you, can, we, we want to go worship him, not, not you. Like, we appreciate you, like there's a new king and we want to worship him, can you help us find him? It might seem strange, like they could have been killed over that, but I... 
I think if there comes like a point in your life, and I wonder if this is where they were, where like seeking for purpose and seeking fulfillment reaches just like a breaking point. Where it's like I've, I, I kind of tried it all. Like I've done the, the partying and, and sex and, and drinking thing. I've done the money thing. I've done the relationship thing. I've done the career thing. I've done the hobby thing. I've done the mindless scrolling and binging thing. And it's just like, that's not it. I don't feel happy from, I don't, all these things that I do, I don't gain any, I hate this. I need something good and I need something real and I wonder if that's where these guys were to, for them to set out on this journey. And I, and I don't know what their journey looked like, but I know you can ask any Christian to tell you about things that have happened in their lives that they know was God, that they can say it's impo- this, this, there's, there's no way it was a coincidence. God was in it, he was guiding me, he was leading me. You can ask any Christian to tell you about those things and they'll start talking because God is always at work. And I wonder if if that's what was happening with these wise men. Like they have a a long trek and journey across the desert and I wonder if they're just catching glimpses like here and there of like, that was weird, right? Like that, that wasn't a coincidence that that just happened. Like there's something going on here. And then they finally get to Bethlehem and what do they find? Just a toddler and his mom. What do they do? They fall on their knees and worship him. Why? It's got to be faith. What else can it be? You know how I know it's faith? Because I have a two-year-old. And as cute as he is, I've never wanted to worship him. I've never thought, like, let me fall on my knees and start praising this. I've fallen on my knees over this child. I have, but not in worship. How do these wise men even know that this is the Messiah? Like it says the star was over the house, but you've seen stars. <laughs> Could have been over any house. It's a, how do they know this child is the Messiah? He had to be like glowing or something, right? He was, you know, it was likely he was talking. Maybe he preached them a little baby sermon and they were like, that's a good word. That's a good word. This has got to be our guy. Actually, the Bible says there was nothing about Jesus that was special. Nothing physically. That he didn't stand out. And so the reality of what they found is they found a regular looking two-year-old boy. What they do, they fell on their knees and worshipped him got to be faith. I mean, only faith can drive someone to do something that's seemingly so foolish. Faith alone, and yet that's how they had to come to Jesus. Faith alone. And to me, that's the gospel. Like, right in this story, decades before the cross, that's what the wise men teach us, that the only way to come to Jesus is by faith alone. I don't know, maybe some of you guys are thinking like, they didn't bring faith alone, like they brought gifts. Salvation can be bought with a pound of myrrh and 12 ounces of gold and like a pint of frankincense and like you're good, right? But on a surface level, we know that it was customary to give gifts to a king. So you could mark that off as coincidence or something they just did, but even deeper. And it's highly unlikely that these men even knew the significance of this. But these gifts, actually they themselves even point to the cross. Gold, gold was associated with kings. And Jesus would go on to be called the king of kings because of what he did on the cross. Frankincense, 
It was something they used when they would worship in the temple, something that they used to, for, for cleanliness and to purify, to make sure they were good enough to be in the presence of God. Well, because of Jesus, he is that. He's what purifies us and allows us to be in the presence of God. And then myrrh, myrrh was used to anoint dead bodies. And so to give a baby a, a myrrh, Jesus became the final sacrifice on the cross. And so these gifts, whether these wise men knew it or not, pointed ahead to the cross and what Jesus would go on to do. And them laying them, these gifts down at Jesus' feet, it doesn't earn them anything. It just testifies about what Jesus came to earth to do. And they didn't plan that. God planned that. So if you like things that are like, man, there's no way that was a coincidence. There's no way that was a coincidence. And it just tells me there's nothing you can give to God that he doesn't already own. They thought they were giving these gifts to Jesus. God put those gifts in their hands to give. There's nothing you can give to God that he doesn't already own. Think about it this way. If you give your kids money this year to buy you something for Christmas, you give them money to buy you something for Christmas, like they might buy you cheap perfume or like a necktie or something, but they're buying you something with your own money. So it's like, you kind of already own it, right? The Bible says that the earth is God's and the fullness thereof, which includes everything on this planet, including you and I. Like the air we're breathing belongs to him. Your body belongs to him. It all belongs to him. You don't have anything to bargain or barter with. He already owns it. I always laugh in movies when they say, God, if you, if, if, I'll give you my life if you just... And it's like, what part of your life do you think is yours? Who do you think is keeping your heart beating? It already belongs to him. You have no gift to bring. Barumpa pum pum. <laughs> the little drummer boy is not even a real character, but he got that one. It already belongs to him. There's nothing you can bring before God except for faith. And faith in Jesus is enough because Jesus is enough. That's why faith in him is enough, because he is enough. And I just want those words to be bouncing around in your head this entire week leading up to Christmas. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough, whether it's a joy to the world season for you, and you feel great and life's good, and you have gifts under your tree, and you have gifts to give to other people, and maybe families in town, and you feel great, and it's like, that's awesome. Like, enjoy that. Praise God. But understand that over all of that, Jesus is enough. If this is a rough season for you right now, and maybe it's your first Christmas without a spouse or a family member like Joanna was talking about, maybe money's tight. Not only do you not have anything to give gifts, but like you don't even know if you're paying your rent this month. Maybe things are rough, or maybe divorce has rattled your family, and it's like your first Christmas that your kids aren't going to be with you, or maybe you or a loved one is sick, and you're like questioning, is this the last Christmas we even have together? Maybe anxiety or depression is just like crushing you. I mean, I know the weight of that. I know it's hard. I've been in all those places, and I just want to testify to you guys that in that, Jesus knows, and he's still enough. He is enough. Put your faith in him tonight. Fall to your knees and cry out to him. Worship him. From the manger to the cross, it has always been Jesus. It will always be Jesus. Now and forever, Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Let's pray, Lord. There's so much. There's so much that we don't know.
even in this story, never understand the things that you've done to reach out and connect with us, to guide us to where we are. We'll never understand the way you are working in this world to bring glory to yourself and resurrect the dead, spiritually dead, back to life. I pray that we have an idea, at least some glimpse of how amazing and big you are. If nothing else, at least understand that we don't understand it and we never will. To live in reverence for you. And God, I pray our relationship with you is not just head knowledge. That we can't just quote Bible verses and know the right answers, but that like this church reflects a community that knows you. That like really knows you and will do anything to know you more. And that we understand that it's only our faith that brings us to that. You're enough, Jesus. As we as we go into Christmas this week for all the planning and all the busyness, I just pray Jesus is enough. Bounce that around in our in our minds and our hearts and our spirits. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for choosing us and dying for us when we did not deserve it. You are enough. We pray all this in your name, Lord. Amen.